This week's podcast brought to you by Sister Mary Scholastica. Our 13-year-old had her yearly physical yesterday, and we found out that she grew three inches in the last year. And I jokingly said to her, if you keep growing at this rate, maybe you will have a chance to play for UConn someday. And her response to me very seriously, very serious, was, unless Lindsay Whelan is still coaching at Minnesota, then maybe I'll play there. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. Road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. You flew back yesterday from uh, from France. A, from France. I fly out of here tonight. Um, so I thought it was fitting for us to start with a flying story. Last week I was in Phoenix and I took the red eye home and I normally fly Delta, almost exclusively fly Delta. I really like Delta. Well, I was flying United and I just w- would had to laugh because um, of the way airlines board things. Now we've talked about this before, you know, the, the ridiculousness of pre-boarding. But this was the most ridiculous I've experienced um, in my travels, and so I, I wrote it down. And um, I don't even know this. I was out of the country, yes, so I have no idea what your what I'm about travel to, was. Right. So, just before I got on the plane, um, they were pre-boarding, and this was the list of people that pre-board were eligible for pre-boarding. That yes, that are eligible for pre-boarding before they board Zone One or Group One or how they ever do, however they do it on United. This is what it, so it started passengers with medical disabilities and then people needing extra time and assistance and then active military with proper ID with, with proper a valid ID. ID then families with small children then global services then 1k and then after that they say now we are going to start boarding zone by one. zone, yeah. So, but this was my favorite was this quote after they had, they had pre-boarded all of those. The uh, the gate agent comes on and said, "We have a long pre-boarding process, but boarding should move swiftly." Well, of course, boarding is going to move swiftly. You've already pre-boarded almost every category There's of human being that's purchased a ticket. On no your one flight. left to board, and then when they get to zone nine. And there's three people left. I always feel like as I step forward, they're, they're going to put a hand up and say, wait, wait, no, not you. We're going to let these people on. We're going to board anybody else from any other gates who wants to go wherever you're going. And then you'll be allowed to board. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's funny, too, because, I, you know, I, like I said, I almost exclusively fly Delta. And Phoenix, the, the Phoenix airport has this brand new terminal that includes the, the Delta gates. And it's beautiful. Well, United is not in that new terminal. It's in an old kind of run-down terminal. This is so, the, the beautifully named, if not beautifully appointed, Phoenix Sky Harbor yes. Airport. Sky Harbor. That conjures an image that, say, Hartsfield doesn't. Right, yeah, true. Well, the United um, terminal was not conjuring many pleasant images. But uh, but anyway, so 
Passengers with medical disabilities, people needing extra time, active military, families with small children, global services, and 1K. You are all welcome to continue listening. Everyone else has to wait for a few seconds. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to play one downsmanship with you, but I can do you several worse, I think. Okay, let's hear it. Well, I was in a three-hour car ride to JFK last Wednesday to try to catch a, to, to catch a 6 p.m. flight. Now, if you get to New York in mid-afternoon, anytime at 3 o'clock or after, you're going to be stuck in, in traffic, and then you're going to be stressing out about making the flight. So right. I went. It becomes a five-hour commute, perhaps, from here. Yeah, it becomes brutal. So I, I went early. So that I arrived at 2:45, I arrived at 2:45 for my 6 p.m. flight, but that's no problem. I I can sit and read. That's a pleasure, right? Right. Well, at six o'clock, they change the flight till 6:20, becomes 6:40, becomes eight, becomes 9:03, it becomes 9:33, and the flight finally leaves at 10:07 p.m. So I've been at the airport for uh, seven or eight hours, but. What I particularly enjoyed about that experience was as it became clear that they weren't going to tell us anything and that the flight was going to just be delayed uh, mysteriously and and indefinitely, a woman, middle-aged woman with an English accent, came up to individually to the 200 people waiting on the gate and said, brandishing the screen on her phone, she said, you are all, you all should know under European Union law, each of you is entitled to $500 in compensation. And then she would tap the screen with her fingernail to make her point, as if showing this document from Google would, would be the, the deal sealer. And she was saying this very loudly for the benefit of the, of the um, airline personnel who were there as well. I'm not applying for $500 in, uh, and the reason was- Does it cover those any outside flight, of the EU? Any flight into the EU that's delayed more than three hours, according to this lady's Google search, uh, entitles anybody to uh, $500. $500, I'm sure it's some figure in euros that equates to around 500 bucks. Well, I'm not, I'm not hiring an international aviation attorney to get my 500 bucks. Well, you've flown in the last- Outside of our, our family vacation, which, which we went on together this year, you've flown twice, right, in the last couple, couple of months. Even no, the last couple, couple of months, a oh. couple of weeks. But yeah. I'm saying even in the, in, in, in the total of the last two months, you've flown those two times. They just happen to also be in the last couple of weeks. And both times you had really lengthy delays. You had, what, a four-hour delay out of Hartford? The last two outbound flights I've taken, which yes. were both in the last two to three weeks. Yes were uh, delayed five or six hours and then seven hours. So so. so this, the, and the reason I extended it back a couple months was just to make this point. I've traveled a ton for work um, this summer. And, and in that same period of time, I don't know, I've probably taken, I don't know, seven or eight round trip flights. And I don't know that I've been delayed at all. And we've talked about this before on our podcast, just how I, you have very different luck than I have. And we've also talked about how our oldest daughter is very much like you in a lot of ways. Well, last night she had a, a scrimmage with her high school volleyball team 
And when it was done, it was the evening. We were about an hour from home and she got in the car and she said, I'm starving. Can we stop at Buffalo Wild Wings? She said, I've been craving their breaded or whatever it is, mac and cheese all day. I'm just super hungry. And and I said, yeah, sure. We also had our, our second oldest with us. And so the three of us drove to Buffalo Wild Wings. It took us 40 minutes to get there. Again, our oldest, I've been craving this mac and cheese all day. I cannot wait. So we go in. It's not many, not many people in the restaurant. We sit down, place the order. Of course, she orders the, the mac and cheese and they bring the appetizer. We're halfway through the appetizer and the waiter just came over and said, I'm so sorry, but we're completely out of mac and cheese. I just looked over at her daughter and it was one of those instances you could just see she didn't cry but she just see her eyes sort of well up a little bit because she'd been looking forward to this all day and um and when the when the waiter walked away I just said to her I said this isn't funny but you completely have inherited so much from your father including his luck like I don't even know <laughs> what to say about this well, and um and it's, you know, it really is kind of remarkable how, it, it, how things have gone with your flights right. and my it, flights. It was and the then, second and time in this. as many weeks that I've sat in an airport terminal and watched it fill up. It was, got, arrived, it's empty. I watched it fill up and then empty out again like a bellows, including the 9 p.m. flight to Paris where I was going, left on time at 9 p.m., our 6 p.m. flight to Paris, which I had booked so as to avoid the 9 p.m. flight to Paris, left an hour later and uh, and uh, you know when I got on the flight then I was on a window seat and there was a, a little old lady sitting next to me and I didn't have the opportunity now what in my ninth hour at the airport I'm six six and a half hour flight 15 and a half hours sitting in a seat I didn't have the I, I didn't have the opportunity when 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 I needed to um, to ask permission to get up and use the bathroom, which, of course, is the position you're put in, is to require ask permission when you're sitting on the window. Um, and by the time that she woke up and uh, I had just said, forget it, my legs wouldn't work to, to get up and, and walk to the bathroom anyway, but she did wake up to ask for a drink, and uh, she asked the French flight attendant uh, if she could have a glass of Chardonnay on the rocks. And uh, to watch the flight attendant's face just try to conceal that grimace was was a wonderful thing. What time of day was that? Time of day it was it was midnight body clock time. I don't uh, know six a.m. in France, but it, and, no, it but was it was the more that she on the rocks. yeah, just having a, a glass full of ice and pour some Chardonnay over it. I, I, I particularly enjoyed the uh, French flight attendant's reaction to that. She also was asking her her traveling companion, I believe her son, her middle aged son, across the aisle. Um, if they had paid, she distinctly remembered they had paid eight euro for the Vatican. So they better be getting the Vatican on their upcoming package tour. But neither of them could remember if they had yet paid or not paid for the Villa Borghese. <laughs> so they'd paid eight euros for, for the, the Vatican, Vatican. And they, by God, better be getting the Vatican for the eight euro. The Villa Borghese was, was uh, an open question. And then as we were landing, I made this note on my phone, um, the, the absurd airline speak. Um, this was one that I hadn't heard before. We will be landing in 30 minutes, barring excessive vectoring. <laughs> excessive vectoring. And then the gentleman said, please fasten your seatbelt appropriately. And I wondered, what, how would you fasten your seatbelt 
inappropriately. <laughs> I can actually conjure up some images in my brain of what that would be. <laughs> but anyway, we arrived in Paris. I rendezvoused with my uh, oldest brother and young and younger brother, who picked me up in a rental car, and my sister-in-law. And we drove three hours to Normandy, but we stopped along the way in a a rural McDonald's in, in France. And um, my sister-in-law ordered a small coffee, and I'll have to post the picture or something. But uh, it, it the small coffee, the small McDonald's coffee was. You saw the picture. I'd say it was two, two and ounces, a half ounces. Two to two and a half ounces. When you sent me that picture, I thought it. You know, you were joking around that it was a coffee. I assumed it had to be it had to have been a shot of espresso. It's tiny. It's what literally two or three ounces maybe could fit in that cup. It but was, yeah, it was, I'll definitely it was try comical, to post but, but, that picture. But it did it did hit home how and and I then brought this up with our our tour guide who's Dutch but has been living in France for years and um, he said when he first came to America. He had the opposite problem, of course. He he was he went to a um, place in Oklahoma to learn how to to um, skydive in World War II era equipment and from World War II era planes. And that's a thing you can do. That's a thing he could do. It was the only one place at the time you could do it. He's a he is a um, uh, incredibly committed, passionate World War II historian and and an incredible guide to the. Uh, to the uh, D-Day sites around Normandy, and he began as a child restoring World War II-era vehicles in his native Holland, something that is, I think was his uncle had started doing, and then he um, it, it grew from there, and he now lives in Normandy. But he said when he was in Oklahoma uh, for the first time, he ordered by himself, dining alone, a large pizza, what he would consider a single-serving large pizza. And when his you know 18-inch pizza arrived, and all the wait staff were gathered around to look at who was this legend who was going to eat a large pizza. He realized that the food sizes here and there are, are quite different. So really the, the small coffee was probably an appropriately sized coffee at one time, but we're so used to now the 64-ounce uh, beverage being the medium right. and the 42-ounce um, being the small for a nickel less. So, And that's a problem if we're ordering a, trying to order a beverage for one of our kids. Maybe um, like, oh, can I have a... I'll, I only want them to consume so much lemonade. So you order a small from a drive-through, and it comes out to be this big mug of, of a beverage. Um, well, you talk about the the woman that you were sitting next to on the flight on my flight home from Phoenix. I also, was, when you order a drink, I'm sorry, when you order a drink for the kids, and they say, uh, "Do you want a straw with that?" You, at least with your eyes, say, "Do I look like a monster?" <laughs> That's not true. I just, it's the same thing I do when they ask I for a, no, if you want a bag you. at the grocery now and I've forgotten to bring my, my permanent shopping bag. Uh, I, I say, do I look like I hate the environment? No, I will juggle out my groceries, and I do. I've, well, I've, we've, we, we purchased some metal straws that we keep in the car, and so oftentimes when you go through a drive through they hand you the straws, and I, in a friendly way, hand them back and say, we don't need the straws. Thank you. Actually, the other day, because um, as of, I believe, August 1st in Connecticut, um, whether you're going to the grocery store or to a Target or wherever, you have to pay for a bag, and I believe it has to be a, a like a brown paper bag. So the other day I stopped at Target quickly because the next day was our kids' picture day at school, and I realized two of our three children, actually the only two that were going to be part of picture day, didn't have anything appropriate to wear. So I stopped quickly on my way home from the studios of Bristol, Connecticut. And when I came out, that was exactly it. I didn't have a bag. So I walk out, and I'd gotten a couple other things that we needed at the house. 
like you say, juggling um, whatever was in my hands. But anyway, so my, my last trip when I was on the plane, the guy next to me was uh, watching something on his iPad. And I think I've mentioned, but maybe I haven't, that during my, my travels this past summer, I was rewatching Boston Legal. It's a it's a TV show that you and I really enjoyed when it first came out, which was like 2004, 2005. But I've been rewatching it. Anyway, I'm sitting on the plane and for whatever reason, I glance over and the guy next to me has an iPad and I see that he's watching Boston Legal. And I thought it was just such an odd thing that the pe- the two people in this row are both watching. I mean, I wasn't at the time, but are watching a TV show that came out 15 years ago. And anyway, after but we, we laid, should t- we should tell listeners that that perhaps and I maybe t- tell me if I'm out of line here, perhaps your favorite actor of all time is James Spader. I do like James Spader. Sort of late period James Spader, not the James Spader who had his collar turned up as the... Right. As the well, uh, I loved Boston Legal, and I really like The Blacklist, which is the show that James Spader's in now. So anyway, after we landed and you know we were taxiing, I said to the guy, I said, just curious, you know, why are you, <laughs> what brings you to be watching Boston Legal 15 years after it came out? And uh, anyway, he just said that, he was looking for a good show to watch. Somebody had recommended it, and he was watching. And he it, also didn't know that it had come out 15 years ago, which shows you how relevant it is. Right, relevant. Yeah, he is. said to me because as we're getting off the plane, he said, you know, well, "When did it come out?" And I, th- I said, "I think that first season was 2004." But uh, but anyway, I, I just thought that was a little bit well. Strange. You know, while we're not shutting up about our plane stories, um, when I was flying from JFK to Charles de Gaulle over that seven-hour delay or whatever it was, a four-hour four hour delay, I guess it was. Um, when I arrived at the airport, there was a stunning rainbow over, oh, yeah, you sent me over the, the plane that was at yeah. our gate. Turned out not the plane that we were going to be taking. I think it was a flight to Tel Aviv that was leaving. And um, it was just, it was stunning. And I, and I, I did. I, I tweeted out a picture and um, saying, you know, I, I've just missed my rainbow connection or, or something like that. And a lot of people were replying about uh, the great song, Rainbow Connection. Kermit the Frog, and um, but a, a few people made the same observation. That pre-boarding, as we were talking about, a um, few people replied with, um, this is a pre-boarding announcement only for the lovers and the dreamers, <laughs> which was a much better caption than, than the one I had made. So. Yes. Well, when, we, um, when I flew to Phoenix last week for the game, on my flight, I connected through Detroit, and as I was get about to board the flight in Detroit, who came over and spoke to me, but Christine Golick, Mike Golick's wife. We've had both Mike and Christine in basement as guests on our podcast. And I was chatting with her and um, she asked if uh, if you had changed the filters since he was here. Not. And um, I had to, with an ashamed look on my face, mention that uh, we had not changed them since then. You, know, you were talking about flying over to France uh, yesterday somebody asked me if you were in France as part of a book signing. And um, I said, no, you actually do have a book signing um, on Thursday, September 12th at the East Granby Public Library at seven o'clock, right? I do. But I, that but, is... But I was part of a book leaving in France. I, I brought I brought one of my books to France and left it in the hotel. Which book? Uh, the Caddy Was a Reindeer, actually. Oh, perfect. I, you know, I always think when I go to places that I should leave one on each continent and uh, I never think to do that, but I, 
I had room in my luggage and I threw it in and, and uh, it's there now. Well, in, in, it is probably in a, in a, uh, on its way to a, a, a French um, landfill as we speak. In the, in the previous presidential administration, I, I, three consecutive years, I went to the White House to fill out a bracket for March Madness. This with, was in the previous President presidential administration that you did this? The previous administration. Not in the current one. Not the current okay. one. No, he, he does not fill out brackets. And, um, but President Obama did. And the first year I went, at some point, we I think we got like a tour of a room that had a bunch of books on the shelves. And so either the second or the third time that I went, I brought one of your books with the attention, the intention of leaving it on the shelf, it, not in the room where we actually filmed it. That was the map room. There are no books in there that I can remember. But it, um, if I could like sneak into another room and leave your book. And I think just when I got there, I completely chickened out thinking this, you know, might not be a good good idea to just randomly leave your book in in the White House somewhere. It would have been first editions of Thomas Paine's Common Sense, John F. Kennedy's Profiles in Courage, and Steve Russian's Knights in White Castle. It would have been a second edition of Stingray Afternoons. (laughs) Well, I was in France, uh, as I said, to visit Normandy. And this, of course, is the 75th anniversary this year of... D-Day is also the 85th uh, anniversary of my father's birth. He was born June 3rd, 1934, so he was 10 years old, uh, 10 years and three days old on on D-Day. And while he traveled the world for his job, when I was a kid, he had never been to Normandy. And so it's something he always wanted to do. As he put it, it was always on his, as he put it, pocket list, which became... became <laughs> a, a buzz phrase of ours when we were over there. He mentioned that at dinner. He said, "What do you call it again? Bucket list, bucket list, pocket list, whatever." So um, we we went. Uh, all four of my siblings and I, three of our spouses, not you and not uh, my brother Jim's uh, wife Mary Jo, but um, so it was great. It was just uh, an incredibly powerful, moving experience. I'm sure some of you have been there. You know the American Cemetery. There is, um, you know, in addition to a solemn, uh, moving place, it is the most beautifully uh, manicured, situated, maintained, and um, uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, but really just a, 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 um, a beautiful place in, in many ways. And uh, Omaha Beach, Utah Beach, we were at, we were at the German Cemetery, 21,000 burials there, and there's not much I can say other than I would urge anybody who has the opportunity to, to visit there, to visit there. The oldest, I'm sorry, the youngest World War II veterans, kids who were 18 in 1945 are now 93. So, uh, you know, this is places that, that cannot be forgotten. It certainly can't be forgotten once you've been there, but they shouldn't be forgotten in, in history. And our tour guide said that 90% of his clientele are Americans and Nearly 100% of those are between the ages of 50 and 75. So I'm determined uh, to bring whatever the age is appropriate to bring our kids over there to see these places because, um, you know, it goes without saying, but they, they cannot be uh, allowed to fade into obscurity in the next, you know, millennium. But there are also the or usual hijinks of being over there uh, in a in a another place with my with my siblings and you never you never outgrow who you were when you were a kid when you're around your siblings and 
on the last morning there. We were only there for 72 hours. I was in France for three nights. Can't afford to be away any longer than that when you're traveling and the kids are in school. So um, we had to leave at 5.30 in the morning for the airport to catch our airport two and a half hours away to catch our flights home. My brother's to Chicago, me to JFK. And as a result, this beautiful sort of French provincial hotel that we were in, a couple of stories tall with a courtyard and a that you pull your car into, rental car into, and, and these iron gates close, and the only way they can open is with a garage door opener. Um, we said we're going to need to pull the car out at 5.30 in the morning. Is that going to be a problem? They said, well, th- nobody gets here to open the gates until 6.30, but we'll leave the garage door opener here on the desk in this little reception area. When we came in that night from the Irish pub where we were down the street, the garage door opener wasn't there. There was nobody there from the hotel. And when we uh, returned in the morning, the garage door opener was not there where it was supposed to be. So we had to find it in this place. And as a result, you know, my brother is... Uh, oldest brother is skulking around the courtyard, peeking in windows and being ch- hissed at by the the hotel's black cat. And we had to break out of this French hotel, which we weren't able to do until about 6.45, and then race to uh, to catch our respective planes. And as a result, I arrived in a frothing sweat at my gate, the farthest gate in the most remote terminal at Charles de Gaulle, and uh, relieved to see that they were just starting to board. Starting uh, to board or just starting, starting to, to pre-board? Just starting to pre- or post-board, mid-board. I'm not sure. I got in line, and the French uh, gate agent swiped my passport and um, and sw- swiped my, uh, I'm sorry, swiped my boarding pass, swiped it again, frowning with the red light and the beep, and then, ah, clicked her computer and said, ah, it's your lucky day. You've been selected for the random rogering at uh, at security there and so um as uh as everybody in line passed me by i got the full monty hand wanding bag search bag swab etc and interestingly i was carrying just a small carry-on just just a few items in there i was only there for 72 hours but one of those two of those items because I was meeting my my sister had arrived from Minneapolis, and when we were there this summer, our daughters had left their swimsuits there at her house, and she brought them to me. And as a result, uh, I had a pair of pants, a couple of T-shirts, and two bikinis in my uh, my carry-on bag. Two girl-size bikinis. Yeah, yeah. And as as the, um, the guy was, you know, with the rubber gloves, was pulling all the clothes out, and he pulled these out, kind of looked at them, looked at me, and I gave him a look of, None of your beeswax, buddy. Uh, he put them back in. The star-spangled bikini. And uh, I zipped up the suitcase and went along my merry way. And I should say that I was, again, on the window on the way home to JFK, uh, seated next to a guy. Though we never we never spoke, I, I have to assume he was uh, en route from, from France to New York for the to compete in the uh, World Men's Spreading Championships. <laughs> was he in your space? He was in my space. He was a young Vin Diesel-looking guy, sort of a bodybuilding guy in a tight shirt, and he had his elbows splayed across both armrests, and he spent most of the flight cracking his knuckles. Hmm, that's appealing. Yeah, with his headphones on and mine not. So I was the only beneficiary of, of hearing that uh, for eight hours. And our poor oldest daughter is not getting her mac and cheese because <laughs> this is this is 
her this life. The this DNA is her, she inherited. This is the DNA she inherited, and whoever you inherited it from, um, it's, a, it's a tough, tough go of things in the future. It made me think, the World Manspreading Championships made me think, um, that phrase manspreading made me think, while we were in Bayou, the, the town in Normandy, either the first or, or one of the very first towns liberated in the Normandy invasion, a beautiful place. Um, we were in a restaurant first night, I think, and we ordered, a few of us ordered French onion soup, and it came requiring assembly. It was the French onion soup. There was uh, shredded cheese and a ball on the side, and there were, you know, the sort of oversized croutons um, elsewhere on the table. And as my brother t- Tom of Tom, Dick, and Harry was telling his wife Jill, you know, in which order it's best to put these things in, and Jill looked at me and said, He's mansplaining soup to me. <laughs> um, at the grocery store, I think it was yesterday, I um, I, well, I don't know that I would call this mansplaining, but there's this one guy who works at our local grocery store, checkout guy, and he is, um, I don't know, maybe 20 years old or so, and he's going to college to be a screenwriter for movies. Uh, I talk to him every time I go through. Anyway, as he's... Um, Ringing up my groceries yesterday. As he's yesterday. checking you out? Yes, as he's ringing up my groceries yesterday, and a woman comes over to bag the groceries. I don't know how it comes up, but um, they let me know that this, this guy um, plays Dungeons and & Dragons, and, uh, and earlier that day, I believe, he died when he tried to seduce a dragon. So they were going into this whole thing. I never played Dungeons and Dragons. My brother played Dungeons and Dragons when he was a kid. But um, I just love the fact that his his character or however it works in Dungeons and Dragons died because he was trying to seduce a dragon. Um, well, I, I guess he didn't realize it was a dragon or maybe he did realize it was a dragon or whatever. But this just meant that as after my gro- I paid for my groceries and I put them in my cart and of course the bags that I had brought in with me, I left the grocery pushing my cart saying over my shoulder, have a great day. Don't try to seduce any more dragons. Those, that was the last sentence that left my mouth as I was leaving the grocery store. Well, I've, I've stated uh, unequivocally that I'd like my funeral to be on a mini golf course and that I would like your first sentence of my eulogy to be... Let's face it, he could be a bit of a beep. Yes, um, but I've amended, I've just, just now, I've, you I've changed that. that. Yes, I now want the... First line of my eulogy, delivered by you, to be, he died doing what he loved. He died seducing a dragon. (laughs) Really? That's what you want me to to say as the first line of your eulogy? Although it probably would be appropriate if the eulogy was given on a miniature golf course. And, and, and by seducing a dragon to Steve was a euphemism for... For what? Was it for, a euphemism? For <laughs> filing a magazine story on a late night deadline. Oh, okay. That's what it's a euphemism you know, for. You know, uh, um, those old opium addicts for chasing the dragon, right? I don't know. Is that what they used yeah, to say? Yeah, I think say? that's what they used to say. Well, for me, writing is seducing the dragon. Okay. That, that's going to become a catchphrase here. I was actually thinking about if there's any way I could get that into a telecast. I still haven't gotten bouncy castles into a telecast, but perhaps I can get in something about seducing a dragon. So-and-so seducing the dragon. <laughs> With the and one. <laughs> 
All right. Shall we get to uh, viewer mail? Do you have anything else to say about this week? I think we desperately need to get I, to viewer mail. I think mail. I was, uh, was uh, woefully inarticulate about the uh, solemnity and power of Normandy, but uh, I chalk that up to being just now, a day and a half after getting back from France, I am getting on France time. Right. That's not a good thing. I don't think I slept four hours in the, in the four days that I was gone. Big bad book, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. Okay, let's get to viewer mail. Uh, Denise, Denise uh, sends a photograph that's self-explanatory. It's, uh, it's from some Today Show social media feed, and it's a picture of a woman at an, at an airline counter with her support horse. Horse. A mini horse, yes. Quote, I did a double take at first. I thought it was a really large dog, but no, it is in fact a mini horse. And she encloses another picture. This is the pilot posing with the horse on board the plane. Here's a great picture from... Uh, so at the horse AA's was led on the plane. Horse flew. Flirty the mini... Flirty... The mini service horse. Here's a great picture from American Airlines of the flight crew from American Airlines. They were fantastic and kind and very excited to see Flirty on their flight. Even the pilots had to come out to say hi. So where does the horse, I mean, a horse isn't going to fit into a seat. Where, where does the horse spend the flight? I would have to do further research on this, but the horse also isn't going to fit into the bathroom. Where does the horse... Well, it's probably like one of those horses you see in New York City where they have the, the bag behind horse. it with the, the catch-all. You think it has a newspaper delivery bag that's catching its droppings? I don't have any idea. Well, I can't imagine that there's a, really a horse on plane. Do you think they would let you bring on an emotional support dragon? Which you would seduce and root <laughs> in the... Yes, I'm just curious. What has our world come to that people are I think, allowed I think to if bring you're, a horse I, I on the plane? I think if you're seducing a dragon, it's quite clear that you're curious. <laughs> I, this, this just baffles me. And would they be part of the pre-boarding or would they be the regular boarding? Would it be people with their emotional support this is This is, this is, is, this is, a, this is a pre-boarding announcement only for passengers, any passenger traveling with small horses. <laughs> Not a regular size horse. And then people would bring, be bringing their medium-sized horses up to the gate and saying, is this, and they'd be, no. No. Like we did when, when our kids were five, but, but all of them were, looked like they were, they were nine, and they would try to deny us. Well, oh, no, it was like when they were three and they all looked like they They should they were say nine. passengers traveling with young children, regardless of size, right. rather than passengers traveling with small children, regardless because, of age. Because our children were never small, right. but they were at, each of them, at, at some point, they were young. Right. Well, we have a lot of mail to get to, and it's all interesting, so let me get to some more of it. This is from Roger. Roger writes, I was a Husky in stores in the late 1970s, and my girlfriend was a student at Manchester College, now SNHU, in New Hampshire. So I often partook of TMT, Thumb Mass Transit. Hitchhiking has become a, a frequent topic of late on our show. Well, because our daughter wanted to know why that person had their thumb so, up. So we also used to get it to Boston on occasional Friday nights where we found out the Boston PD did not appreciate you walking across the frozen Charles River in midwinter of the blizzard of 78 and even had an annual hitch to the Cape every summer. It's sad, writes Roger, that kids today no longer can safely, well, okay, sometimes it was not so safe, partake in this very adventurous social experiment and transit system. At many great times, I met a lot of very interesting people traveling by thumb. I bet you did. Sometimes on the return trip, often on Sunday nights, I'd get picked up by parents of UConn students, or even more often, parents of by then UConn alumni would go out of their way and give me a ride all the way to campus. Not only that, but more than once, they even took me out to dinner on the way. I'd hear the wife, it was always the mom, 
by the way, who would say something like, hey, you know, it's been a long time since we have been to Kathy John's or Rosal's or even once Raps, and then why don't we take Roger? He no doubt could use a good meal. <laughs> it sounds glorious. Doesn't it sounds, sound, sounds it like, sounds like, it sounds like the golden age of air travel where meals were served on china plates and people right. wore coats and ties. That was the golden age of, of hitchhiking where golden people, of people picked travel. you up and, and took you to a fancy restaurant. Yeah, instead of having Uber confessions, which we haven't had in quite some time, back then it would have been hitchhiker confessions. Roger was once dropped off in Sturbridge. They apologized that they could only go that far when it was very close to Yukon, of course. And then he realized that his Yukon sign that he was holding up, they had mistaken for him traveling to the actual Yukon with a Y. <laughs> and uh, anyway, thumbs up and keep on keeping on. Roger, the waving Colorado cyclist, he signs himself so. We talked about incongruous business ventures on the last podcast, the funeral home yes. and the mini golf course that share a parking lot, Yes, putting the fun back in funeral, though that's not on their sign. It should be. Well, this comes from uh, Jean, Jean Ellen, and she uh, encloses a picture of a, of a single storefront that offers fingerprinting and a hot dog cart showroom <laughs> Wait, in, in the same door. Why would you need fingerprinting? Well, that's a good question. It, on the door, it says American Family Insurance. On the window, it says fingerprints, fingerprinting services, and hot dog cart showroom. That's an odd coupling, but I'm still more interested in why anyone would need fingerprinting. I don't know, but, but Jean Ellen encloses another photograph. This is actually my second viewer mail, she says, and I've never sent one before. I listened to Podcast 92 on my way home from work, remembering the way my husband and I play Marco Polo every time an alarm chirps. That very evening, in all caps, we got to play. Crazy coincidence. In my house, the alarm that chirps is usually the highest. And here's a picture of her two-story foyer above a staircase and what looks to be about an 18-foot ladder um, going to change the smoke the uh the battery up there. We don't have any smoke alarms in, in places that, are, that are inaccessible. inaccessible. Did, you, did you say her name is Jean Ellen? Well, her, I'm not saying her surname, but she's either enclosed her first name and her middle name, or her name is Jean Ellen, yes. Well, I'm just saying. Jean in, 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 space in, in, Ellen. In an email about interesting couplings. Jean and Ellen Jean is. Jean and Ellen, that's, that's, that's you, an interesting you hear, coupling. You've never, I've never you hear heard Mary of Jean. Right. You hear Mary Ellen. Perhaps Mary Jean and Mary Ellen are somehow contained in the discarded the Marys and took the Jean Ellens. I don't know. I don't know, but it's an interesting mix for a name. Laura writes, catching up on some old ball and chain episodes and you're talking about being tall and shower heads. My youngest is 6'8". The other two adult children are 6'4 and 6'2". When we rented the bathroom, their bathroom, we made the youngest stand up against the wall to place the shower head correctly. The shower guys repeatedly asked me if I was sure, then they saw tall boy. <laughs> That's a good idea for us, actually. Yeah, for sure. You know what? People always complain about showers in European, shower head placement in European hotels. They do. Or shower curtain placement often do. Because they're I, low? Because they're low and they may be low flow and there may be a shower curtain that's not there. Um, but the shower head at this hotel in, in Bayou, it was, it was one of those rain ones mm -hmm. mounted on the ceiling and it was glorious. I had two feet of, of clearance. But the shower stall itself, which was also beautiful, was so narrow that I felt like I was, you know, up against a wall in a prison yard mm -hmm. with a spotlight on me. Because if I had stepped back, 
I'd, I'd run into the, uh, you know, the... Uh, this just makes me think that you talk there. about, um, you know, the height of shower curtains or whatever. LaChina Robinson, who works at ESPN, covers WNBA with us, um, who's, I think, a little bit taller than me. So she's at least 6'4". She posted a tweet the other day that just really had me laughing. She was calling a game out in Los Angeles and was red-eyeing home and was changing in the bathroom uh, at the airport. And she it was a, a tweet apologizing... If you walked in and, and I thought she was going to apologize, like if you see this tall person, you know, in a stall above the stall door. But but then it became clear that, no, she just changes out in the common area of the public restroom. Where there's actually room to change. Yeah, because she said the stall is too small. And like she grew up playing sports, and she's very, she has a locker room mentality, completely comfortable with that. And, and if I'm there's just, not a hook on the door of the stall, what do you, what oh, do, you yeah. do with the stuff? But I, I can just imagine any person walking in to a public restroom at LAX or Atlanta airport or whatever and seeing this beautiful 6'4 African-American woman (laughs) in whatever stage of dress or undress um, as she's uh, changing from her work clothes to her red-eye clothes. And I just, the visual (laughs) entertains me to no end. And and then to her horror, the person says, ma'am, this is the Sky Club. This is not the the restroom. (laughs) Right, right. I was wondering why there was no sink. Deb with 1D writes, uh, Rebecca, I have your I have your purple folder from the Phoenix game. If you ever want to see it again, leave $50,000 in unmarked bills in a brown paper bag in the garbage can at the ballpark. Which ballpark? Doesn't matter. Uh, you uh, That hasn't caught up with you, has it? Well, the, no, the and I was back there last week. I got another purple folder, and this time I um, I brought it with me to the arena, and when I left the arena, I made sure to put it in its proper proper place. In a previous podcast, I think the last one, somebody mentioned that Ohio was once part of Connecticut. They did mention that, they did yes, mention talking that well. about uh, the drive, bringing their child to college. Well, Ball and Chain writes, Tom, to explain how Cleveland was part of Connecticut, the original charter for Connecticut didn't have a western border. So imagine Connecticut with its north and south borders, but extending all the way to the Pacific. Connecticut gave most of that land back to the U.S. government to pay off its debts after the Revolutionary War. But until 1800, it held on to a piece of land on the south side of Lake Erie in what would become Ohio, calling it the Connecticut Western Reserve, which is how places like Case Western Reserve University got their names. Cleveland, Akron, and Youngstown were all part of that area. Eventually, Connecticut ceded the land back to the U.S. Otherwise, LeBron James would have been born in Connecticut. How sweet is that? Very Thank sweet. you for that. Um, for uh, that Tom, by the way, was the MC at a mass. Remember the UCLA? Uh, yes, not the master Catholic, of ceremonies, but the what, what was it called? I, I don't know, but minister of community. Community, but, uh, yes, minister community. of community. To clarify, he met his wife in that scenario, and right. we wondered how what his what his uh, pickup game was during right. mass. To clarify, he writes, while I met my wife at the point in mass where we introduced ourselves to the people around us, it was not a mass where I was the minister of community. That we met. I was in the congregation for that one. Not that it would have been out of the question to do it. The Catholic Center at UCLA at that time was in a converted sorority house, and evening masses were done inside, in the living room, where there wasn't a lectern and everyone was packed very close together. I went home from All Saints Day Mass with her phone number. <laughs> from All Saints Day Mass? Apparently. Lastly, writes Tom, having been to Olean, I'm, I'm pronouncing that correctly now? Olean, yeah. Olean. Having been to Olean a few times to cover basketball, that there used to be a bowling alley in Olean called Bolian. <laughs> Perfect. Just, you know, talking about him being at UCLA and meeting his wife um, at Mass. I don't know who 
I don't think in these days, if you go to a Catholic service, most places, I don't think anybody of marrying age would be meeting anyone else of marrying age. The Catholic Church uh, mass demographic tends to skew slightly older these days. Our resident birder also writes in with um, why Connecticut and Ohio used to be one and the same. Is it the same story? It's the same story, but she adds, interestingly, Rebecca may be interested in the Southwick jog. Now, for people who don't know, and that would be everybody, explain what that is. If you look at a map and see the north border of Connecticut, it's a completely straight line, except for this one little dip on the western part, the northwestern part of the state of Connecticut. And that little dip is part of Massachusetts. It's called Southwick, Massachusetts, which is where I was born and raised. And it, it's, it really should be part of Connecticut. It should be. And yet it's part of Massachusetts. And, and if you're interested in the Southwick jog, you can Google that. It's, it's interesting. But um, There's actually, I've heard a variety of stories of how that came to be. The, my favorite is probably not the accurate one, but the, my favorite, in Southwick there are lakes. And um, one, of the, one of the stories is that, uh, you know, Massachusetts wanted to keep those lakes as part of Massachusetts because they needed the ice in the winter. Anyway, my favorite version of why it is what it is is because the surveyors were drunk and simply <laughs> got a little confused, and um, and that ended up as part of Massachusetts instead of Connecticut. Sadly, I don't think that's the actual reason, but it's I, not. I but it's gonna, it's my favorite. It. Dear Stephen Rebecca writes, Kristen with two eyes. Dear Stephen Rebecca, as you continue, two to, eyes in her name or two eyes in her face? Well, I, I have assumed both, but she signs herself Kristen parentheses with two eyes, the letter I. Okay. Um, but this would be awful now if she only has one eye, it or, would or, be. or if she has three. My apologies if that's the case. Dear Stephen Rebecca, writes Kristen with two letter eyes. As you continue to plan Steve's funeral and send off, and send off, you will no doubt have to include the mini golf course that I think you were talking about in this past week's podcast, Sandwich Mini Golf. In fact, that is the mini golf course we were talking about. It is. It shares a parking lot with a funeral home. Aside from being across the street from a funeral home, making for easily shared parking, it does in fact have a somewhat religious slash inspirational slant to its motif. So this would two birds, one stone. Perfect. Right? Yep. Uh, I'm not sure if they have changed some of the course decor and themes most recently or not, but on my first visit there with my niece four years ago, there were definitely a handful of Bible verses on plaques around the course. Unsure if I had any photographic evidence myself, I did a quick search and confirmed my recollections finding a Yelp review online, and there, sure enough. Um, In fact, here's a photograph, probably with her niece. Uh, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Uh, And that's put next to a par two you know, uh, quintessential mini golf course. Um, this looks like a maybe a 12-yard dog leg left. Interesting. Well, we'll have to check out that golf course, that mini golf course, to see if it indeed is appropriate for um, for your big funeral. Absolutely. George, George, our monocle dealer in Columbus. Stephen Rebecca, earlier this summer when I heard the release of Knights in White Castle was to be delayed, I purchased a used copy of Road Swing online to fill the time. I enjoyed Road Swing, and as a Browns fan, I was born in the Cleveland suburb of Brooklyn. I especially liked the part where you predicted that high school senior Tim Couch would be the next Peyton Manning. Sadly, I think you just meant his college career, but I digress. Well, I, I, I missed the mark on that one. To my surprise, when Road Swing arrived, it was covered everywhere with stickers and stamps indicating it had previously been the property of the Columbia College Chicago Library. See photos. 
See these attached photos. I know that sometimes libraries withdraw and sell books from their collections, but they will typically label them as withdrawn. And this book had no such markings. Now I felt bad because not only had I denied you a book royalty, but I might also have been the recipient of stolen goods. I felt bad, that is, until I read Knights in White Castle and discovered that in your youth, you, Steve, liberated a good number of books from various libraries to add to your own collection. Now I wondered if my purchase of this previous potentially stolen library book instead of a new one was really just payback, the literary version of the fire extinguisher to the face that Rebecca referenced in a previous podcast. He, in fact, contacted Columbia College, and they told him that it was officially withdrawn. But that is, in fact, karma, because I, I did have a brief but torrid period of bibliokleptomania when I was a teenager, and I, I mentioned that in the book. We still have some on our shelves. Heaven is a Playground we still have on our shelf that you... Yeah, uh, that, was a, that was officially book. withdrawn from the Hennepin County Library System and then signed, autographed to me by its author, Rick Tellender. I'm going to interject quickly because he mentions that, um, you know, you, you weren't quite on the money with Tim Couch, and it makes me think of you in, in football predictions. And somehow... Um, not somehow, but I am in a, my first, the first time I've ever been in a fantasy football league is this year, right now. Um, I'm, our 10-year-old son and I are a team. We are Team Russian in this fantasy football league. It's a bunch of kids from his baseball team and their moms are part of this fantasy league. And I was just laughing. I think I sent a screenshot to you because they have all of all of us moms in a group text and leading up to Thursday, you know, the NFL kickoff was just a bunch of moms talking about how bad their teams are and how poorly their teams are going to do. And I said, this is just like a perfect, you know, just this is perfect. A, a mom's fantasy football league is a bunch of women <laughs> apologizing for how bad their teams are versus I'm guessing most father and son fantasy football leagues would be the dads bragging about how great their teams are going to do. So, and which is uh, the better? Which is better from your perspective? I, I think I'm in the one that I, I should be in. Rebecca and Steve writes, Brian, on, on this subject, while I nor not on that subject, but on the subject of, of uh, funeral homes. While I normally don't rank funeral homes, there is a particular one up in, up in Buffalo that is my favorite. It's actually called, it's a surname, capital A-M-I-G-O-N-E, Am I Gone Funeral Home? And if you're there, you probably are. <laughs> How do you rank a funeral home? How many the funeral home is called Amigon, A-M-I-G-O-N-E. Maybe it's pronounced Amigoni. I don't know. But it is spelled Amigon Funeral Home. <laughs> and if you're there, Hopefully the you probably are. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh. Well, gotta, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I, I hope to not have enough experience with funeral homes to be able to have any kind of a ranking. <laughs> Uh, Roger, the waving Colorado cyclist, by the way, um, his daughter was uh, was born about two months before Rebecca won the championship in 95, uh, got to open her birthday present in 2003. Um, Roger was not an autograph collector per se, but he would do anything for his for his daughter's birthday. You see, we had gotten to meet Ann Strother a few times while she was playing at Highlands Ranch High School in Colorado before she headed off to UConn. So when UConn won the national championship, I figured what better present could I get my already basketball-loving daughter than a UConn championship t-shirt? Even better, what if I could get Ann to sign it? So I got the t-shirt and sent it off to UConn, addressed to Ann, care of the UConn Athletic Department, along with a picture of my daughter in her previous year's championship t-shirt, and closed the Sharpie to make it even easier for Ann to sign it and a self-addressed return envelope that already had more than enough postage attached to send it back. Now, that is the way to do it. Am That's I, am the way I right? to do it, yeah. I had no idea if I would get it back, but I figured, what the heck? Well, we're all on pins and needles now, right? Turns out what we got... Turns out that we got the T-shirt back, and it didn't just have Ann's signature, but it had the signature of every player on the team. Needless to say, when my 8-year-old daughter opened that at her birthday, it was a huge hit. 
I sent Anne and the team a thank you note as well as a picture of my daughter with the shirt. The next year, she got a championship t-shirt signed by Gino using pretty much the same process. She wore the Gino shirt but never wore the one with the team's signatures, and when she finished her senior year of high school, we had it framed, and she hopes to hang it in her office one day when she finally gets her D1 head coaching job. She finished her first two years as a head coach for a local high school here in Colorado and got the chance to move to the next level and is now the assistant coach at a junior college. She's only 24, so has time to reach her goal to be the first woman to coach a D1 men's program. For years, she had planned to take over for Gino when he retired, but she has decided that she could make a bigger mark, if you can say 5'3 is big, by coaching the men and also Gino may never retire at this point. Right, true. That makes me feel good, though. Anytime you hear stories about, you know, the lengths that people go through to get something signed, and uh, UConn does a pretty great job of um, making sure no one ends up disappointed. Yeah, and as Roger says, while autographs have lost a lot of their luster for those who sign them due to the whole business that has sprouted up around them, they still are a huge thing for true fans, especially kids. Dr. Siegel sends us a tweet from the comedian Paul Tompkins. It says, if you're going to sit next to me on a 7 a.m. flight and very calmly and casually drink three gin and tonics, please just have the courtesies to say to me, I'm very scared of flying or life has no meaning. <laughs> what, was, uh, what was the great, you and I both enjoy following George Wallace on um, Twitter. He's the best follower on Twitter, the He's comedian George Wallace. Just funny, funny, funny. And yesterday, um, what did he tweet? You screenshotted. What, what did he tweet? I, I, I forgot. Oh, he, sa- he said, um, this is a, a joke construction that he loves, something about, uh, I'll straight up do stand up while sitting down or do sit ups well, while standing. I don't. I don't care anymore. Yes. But he tweeted something today that was that was I found. But even if, if you're on Twitter and you just want somebody who doesn't he doesn't tweet a ton. He he doesn't really get political. He's just very he's, very funny. He's very funny. And George Wallace is the one. Finally, uh, our final viewer mail for the week comes from Annie in Iowa. She writes, "Dear Stephen Rebecca, as the podcast's resident bookseller, I felt the need to weigh in on outside books at book signings. You asked if it was okay to bring in books from outside yes. into the bookstore." To, yes. to have signed. And I said, sure, go for it. I don't know what the store policy is. At our Barnes & Noble here in Iowa, customers are always welcome to bring in their own copies of books for an author to sign. The only request we make is that they're, if they're buying a copy of the author's book on the day of the signing, they need to pay for it first. Sometimes customers will bring in older titles, and if the author is willing to sign them, we're good with that. In other words, don't have the don't take the book, have it signed, and then bring it up to the counter to, to pay for it. Right, okay. Uh, the most unusual incident I've seen at a signing was when local Iowa wrestling legend when local Iowa wrestling legend Dan Gable, the legendary Dan Gable, mm-hmm. of course, was in our store to sign copies of his last book, A Wrestling Life 2. It was during the holidays, and a lady come up, came up to him with a leather-bound volume of Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol for him to sign. He said, but ma'am, I didn't write this book. And she said, but I want my granddaughter to have a book signed by you, and she won't want to read about wrestling. <laughs> He looked at me. I said, it's up to you. And he signed it. Something along the lines of, I didn't write this book, Dan Gable. <laughs> the, cust- the customer was very happy. And on the subject of fire extinguishers, writes Annie in Iowa, until I heard the details in your podcast, I didn't know they could be emptied and filled with water. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school next to an all-boys Catholic high school. We had a mean old nun, Sister Mary Scholastica, who would call Hold on. Scholastica that's a, was that's her last a common name. nun name. Okay. Sister Mary Scholastica, who would go down the hallway during change of class, and if you took too long at your locker, she would wrap you hard on the knuckles with one of those long wooden pointers with a rubber tip. Every day. One of the senior girls paid one of the boys from the other school to come in and hose her down one morning with a real fire extinguisher. The hose sister? Sister Mary down? Scholastica down. <laughs> Tell me more. That stopped Sister Mary Scholastica in her tracks. <laughs> 
He ran back out the door at the end of the hallway. Of course, no one knew who he was or who the senior girl was. Winking emoji. Sister Mary Scholastica was okay in the end, but stayed in her classroom during change of classes after that. And busy hand-selling Knights in White Castle. Cheers, Annie in Iowa. That is, uh, that is quite the uh, viewer mail. That is uh, bringing it on the viewer mail. That's bringing it big time. Dan Gable signing a Christmas carol to a lady who didn't want to read about wrestling. And Sister Mary Scholastica taking a fire down. extinguisher. <laughs> A change of class. I think on that note, thank you to producer Denny Gallagher. Especially for the beautiful work he did on last week's podcast, putting in the song Pico and Sepulveda, which if you listen to it for even five seconds, it gets stuck in your head. And to Tom, Dick, and Harry. Remember Tom, Dick, and Harry have a new great song, probably YouTube, the best place to go for that, called In White Castle. Yes, it's terrific. I've listened to it on YouTube and I encourage others to do that as well. But for now... Let's have Tom, Dick, and Harry play what they usually do when they play us out. Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane Six of us and the family pad Live in this cuckoo nest Daily grind puts sanity To a daily test Androgynous and vigorous What we give for a little rest Day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.